As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. So this morning, we are with Dave Ulrich, co-founder and principal of RBL Group, professor at Ross School of Business at University of Michigan and also known to many individuals like myself who study and research human behavior, IO psychology, human resources, human capital is the father of modern HR. So Dave, thank you so much for joining us this morning. You know, Mike, it's such a privilege to be with you, but I should correct one thing. I'm the father. I just looked it up here. I have a picture. Welcome to my office, by the way. It's fun to be in an office. I'm the father of this family. So uh, that's where I'm a father. My mother, who's now 93, our three kids and 10 grandchildren. So uh, that's more important as fatherhood than the ideas of HR. So amen to that. Amen to that. So Dave, with, with that, you know, as many of our listeners know, we look at the organizations who folk do the work that we do in terms of building inspiration, investing in people. And we find so often that we only talk about the work component, right? And we all know that in order to truly create environments that enable people to bring their whole selves, we have to look at relationships, we have to look at life, and we have to welcome all of those into our organization. So what a great correction, because the world has tagged you as father of modern HR, but yet you're a father, a grandfather, a son, a husband to so many others. So thank you so much for highlighting that. Yeah, you're kind. And you know, it's also fun in this world of relationships, we feel isolated. COVID crisis, the challenge for for 15 months. But in some ways, the technology connects us. You get to glimpse into my life, my office. This is who I am. This is where I live. And I get to glimpse into yours. I'm I'm curious over your right shoulder, you've got two books. I'm I'm just curious what's, what's sitting up over your right shoulder. Yeah, so there's a book from Jennifer Brown on inclusion. Wonderful. There's also a couple books, Lori Rudiman. There's also Lars Schmidt. So they're two books. Um, I also, I don't know if you're familiar with Steve Brown, Minda Hartz. You know, these are some of my favorite authors back here. Oh, that's fun. That inspire me to do what I do and our friends. So we're friends of all of those and you know, when I read Betting on You, I always tell Lori, I, I know you're betting on me, so I'm betting on you as well. <laughs> no, it's just fun to get to peek into people's lives. And, and as you say, what we do professionally is grounded and enabled by what we do personally. And I think it's, well, there are borders. I mean, we don't exactly bring everything we have at home into work and vice versa. It's fun to have that peak. So I'm delighted to have a conversation with you today. Thank you. So Dave, one of the articles that you wrote a few years ago, in fact, that's married so well with the experiences we've last had over the last 14, 15 months, there was a quote in that you shared the U.S. Surgeon General recently stated that loneliness is more serious a health problem than opioids. And to illustrate this, it gets into Americans with no friends that tripled since 1985. You talk about the dynamic of the leading cause of mortality. 
being social isolation that causes kind of a root cause behavior, right? And over the last year, we've talked so much about the power of belonging, that humans want to belong. They need to belong. We yearn for belonging. Could you share a little bit with us, Dave, what you have further learned now that we have lived through what we've uh, navigated the last 16 months and how powerful belonging really is to the human and to leadership? Well, first of all, thanks for citing that research by Professor Tim Smith. He did an incredible job saying, what are the causes of mortality? Is it smoking? Is it obesity? Is it hypertension? Or is it isolation and loneliness? And it's isolation and loneliness. And it's a surprise. And he's continued to do that work. My wife is a psychologist. She was with Tim last week. And he said he's doing further research that there are a set of people who in a four or five day week, work week, don't talk to anyone personally. Again, it's Zoom, it's interfaced by technology. What a tragedy. So having said that, that's the world. What does that mean in an organization? I'm always intrigued with how do you give people a better experience at work? And there's tons of lists. And the employee experience buzzword is caught on. My bias, and I think you share some of this, is how do you simplify complexity? How do you make things simple? I love to look at simplicity. In fact, my PhD is in numerical taxonomy, which if you know what it is, I should give you dinner out because you've studied something crazy. Taxonomy is the science of simplicity. And how do you simplify? We've written books on that called The Why of Work. Lately, we've said there's three things people want at work. And now I'm going to get to your question specifically. Believe, they want to feel a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning, a sense of personal fulfillment. Become. They want to learn. They want to grow. They want to get better and belong. They want to be connected to a community. Those three elements, believe, become, and belong, are the foundation of employee experience. In technology, they talk about the user experience, ease of use, ease of access. In organization and human resources, we talk about the employee experience. Do you, through your people practices, create belief, become, and belong? And that belonging one is so key. By the way, the other two are also key. I'm in a community, but I'm not learning, I'm not growing. I'm in a community that has no purpose. But when you connect those three, believe, become, and belong, you create a setting in which people thrive. That's what we're finding in our latest research. Wow. Dave, when you unpack the becoming, I think we have a common belief in that even our core content at the Talent Magnet Institute is the phrase becoming a talent magnet. So all of our initial certifications and process that leaders go through is about becoming. And we also believe that you never quite reach the pinnacle, right? That it's really an S, it's an S curve. You're constantly learning and growing. It's a spiral up and we're always learning and gathering more information. Can you share a little bit? What has your research showed around the word become? What landed you there? I love the become. And I heard you at Talent Magnet Institute say, learn, change, and grow. Well, look at those verbs, learn, change, grow. That's become. What I love to think about, and it would be fun to ask you, Mike, the half-life. I have a friend who's a professor of engineering at the PhD level. And I've said to Rich, she's actually the dean of an engineering school now, what's the half-life of your PhD workshop? So this is PhD engineers who use language I don't even, I don't even assume I understand. When is 50% of your material out of date? Half-life, 50% out of date. He said every 12 months. Wow. 
in our field, in organization, human resources, what's the half-life of our knowledge? And I'm finding that it was two and a half to three years. So I do a presentation. I have a set of teaching notes. Every two and a half to three years, I need 50% new notes. I think in the last 12 months, 14 months, it's now 12 to 14 months. I've had to reinvent over and over again. And that's the concept of becoming. And it's creating, I love the idea of learn. I love the idea of change. I love the idea of grow. I'm, I'm picking up on your words, which I think are so good. And then how do we create as leaders, as HR leaders or business leaders, a setting where that learning happens? I'll give one other comment on that one. I happen to have it with me because I showed it the other day on a, on a session. There's a great set of work by Carol Dweck. She's a professor at Stanford called Mindset, Growth Mindset. As I said, my wife's a PhD. So for Christmas last year, I bought her, I had made, I didn't make it, this pillow. I'm not failing, I'm learning. That's a quote from Carol Dweck. I'm not failing, I'm learning. That's part of becoming. That's the learn, the change, the grow is you better be taking a risk. Well, I'll ask you, Mike, in the last 12 to 14 months, as you've started this new business in the Talent Magnet Institute to complement your search business, have you made any mistakes? 100%, yes. <laughs> learned a lot. We have learned a lot. Yeah. And if you hadn't made a mistake, you wouldn't be as successful as you are. The mistakes, mistakes are an opportunity to learn. And so are the challenges. A year and a half ago, I refused to do video calls because People have said to me, Dave, you have a face for radio. And I'm embarrassed. Who wants to put this face on a video? And yet I've decided, you know, if people are upset by the face, I said to somebody the other day, I'm having a bad hair day. And they looked at me and said, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was it. Okay. And you know what? If I get upset because of my bad hair day, that's a problem. Get over it. And I've learned that. And that's not been easy for me, by the way. But to become is to learn, to experiment, to get out of my comfort zone, to not be afraid of failure, to relish the opportunity to fail, to continuously improve, to again, learn, grow, and change. I love the three. Yeah. Yeah. So you got believe, become, and belong. And those three trilogy, I mean, you could call it whatever you want, the trilogy, you could call it the three musketeers or the holy trinity, depending on your value set. Yeah. But that's what we want to give employees to create a great experience. Yeah, even with the comment around mistakes, Dave, I, where I have found myself now is that, you know, I almost want to say, no, we haven't made mistakes. We've learned a lot, right? That the iterations, the questions, even today, I was on a call with an organization, a VP of HR who had recently gone through almost all of our core content. And we were very vulnerable. Give us feedback. You know, and the feedback was, I would just love to see the actual organizations that are implementing these tools. And it wasn't a knock on our content, but it was, hey, here's an area you can improve on. Give me more real life examples. I want to live experiences. I want to feel it, see it, be able to touch it, ask the questions, et cetera. That everything we do, we should be asking for feedback and not take it personal, but view as an opportunity to strengthen our core. I'm laughing. I teach at the University of Michigan. I have a consulting firm. The colleagues in my consulting firm sometimes hate working with me. And by the way, that's a horrible confession. And we did a session late last night for, uh, doesn't matter what country, a country in Asia with their civil service reform. And we ended at 1030 last night. And I called my colleague and said, so what did we do wrong? 
what could we improve? And he said, Dave, it's 1030 at night. I'm tired. I've been up since eight this morning working. I, enough. I don't need to do another, you know, after action review, whatever you want to call it. He said, and I said, oh, okay, well, I want to learn what we could improve. And he said, talk to me tomorrow. By the way, and I overdo it sometimes. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. If I did something wrong, if my shirt's not buttoned or my hair looked bad, tell me and I'll try to find a way to get better. Now, that doesn't mean I do what somebody says. I still own the feedback. But I think that's Marshall Goldsmith has a great line, feed forward. I don't feed backward to what's bad. I feed forward. I feel forward. I look forward. I anticipate what's next. That's why I laugh when you said that. That's where I think that growth and becoming better becomes so critical. So that's absolutely correct. So let's talk a little bit around the topic of the social unrest, the racial tension that the United States is suffering from and how the world responded to what was going on in the United States, specifically in this topic, and how belonging factors into how do I actually do live out diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in my workplace? And, you know, as you and I both know, there's organizations that are calling our firms, both of our firms, asking for help here that many just want to put a Band-Aid on it. So how do we stop that behavior and actually get to the heart change and the individual change necessary to move ourselves further faster? By the way, it's not just the United States. In the United States, we have Black Lives Matter. We have, we have gender issues. In Europe, it's called refugees. I mean, that's a diversity issue. Is how do we manage refugees? How do we assimilate? Britain's had a major election around Brexit. Is how do we assimilate? Germany. In Asia, it's around political unrest. It's the yellow umbrella movement in Hong Kong. In Brazil, it's around the haves and the have-nots. So, I mean, this issue of diversity is a global issue. I could go in so many places. I think at a personal level, we all have personal stories, and I have one as well. I have pictures in my wall to remind me. I've got a picture of family. I've got a picture of my dad. I got a picture of Sheikh Zayed, who uh, one of the great Muslim leaders of our generation, obviously passed away, who founded the UAE. I have a picture of Martin Luther King and all of those have stories. But let me come into the organizational setting. I love to look at context in a simple way. Remember, taxonomy is, is my value set. I think we've seen four waves of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think we're moving to the fourth wave, which is where you're at. I grew up with a father who is a, my kids got me this book that I can read to my grandchildren. This is your great-grandpa Ulrich, and it has a picture of my dad. He is from Alaska. He had a truck, and just to personalize it, after he retired from the government at 55, for the next 25 years, he'd go in his truck, and by the way, this is the picture that's on my wall, uh, and pick up day-old bread, vegetables, day-old bread from the store, and take it to those in need. And so dad did what he called the bread run. Dad quit. He was a forest ranger and he worked for the Job Corps. It was a social agency agenda in the 60s. That was the affirmative action age where Lyndon Johnson in the United States tried to do racial equity through affirmative action and programs. That's phase one. Companies do that. They count headcount. They count numbers, number of men, number of women, number of minorities. It didn't have much impact. I hate to say that. It didn't because you would get a number, but you wouldn't get an impact. So phase two is you weave the diversity and inclusion into an HR program. So you do unconscious bias training. You do succession planning with diversity. I'm sure in your search business, you're looking for a particular candidate. 
So you weave diversity into communications and events. So you got phase one, affirmative action numbers, phase two, diversity programs. And to be honest, the programs didn't have much impact. They were events. Phase three, which is where a lot of companies are, you link it to strategy. Our strategy is to innovate. We innovate through diversity. Our strategy is to focus. We focus through inclusion. So we create diversity and inclusion that, that diverges and converges with our strategy. That's having some impact. I think you got to go to phase four and companies are not there yet. I think to create sustainable DEI, you got to change your fundamental assumptions. I'll pick two. You got to look at people and leadership, not as a source of power and authority, but the opportunity to empower others. So when I look at you, I look at you and say, what could, well, when you look at me, you're the leader, I'm the employee. What could I, Mike, as the leader do to empower Dave, to help Dave live up to his potential? And the job of a leader is not to exercise power, it's to empower. And so when a leader has the assumption, everyone I look at in the company, my job is to empower them. My job is not about my power, it's to share my power. And number two, everyone has something to offer. Everyone has something to offer. By the way, we offer different things. I'm sure you have great affection. I'd love to hear about your affection for your dad who founded your business. Like I share affection for my dad. My dad had something to offer. He was a little weird in some ways. I'm, and he's passed away, so I can say that. You probably can't say that. But my dad taught me, when you look at someone, what do they have to bring? What do they have to offer? My mom still has that value. And people are so different. Not everyone's going to be the founder of a company. Not everyone's going to be the CEO. But you know, that frontline employee, the receptionist, the marketing person, everyone has something to offer. And my job as a leader, one, is to empower you, two, so that you fulfill your potential against your aspiration. I think until you get those two assumptions, affirmative action numbers, phase one, HR practices, training, development, unconscious bias, training, strategic diversity, none of those are going to sustain unless you can get to those fundamental roots. That's a long answer, and I'm sorry, but I feel pretty passionate about that. Yeah, it's incredible, Dave. As we talk so often about it starts with us. It starts with me. It starts with you. It starts with our listener. Where you are right now, it starts with our hearts, right? So at the end of the day, you can count whatever you want to count. You can implement whatever you want to implement. We recently, Dave, heard a publicly traded company share that they had rolled out some practices. And, and we're hearing from different organizations, from small, privately held organizations to publicly traded to mid-sized companies, how little people are taking the courses that they're being encouraged to take, right? So organizations are buying access. People aren't taking the programs. You know, what you just referenced is fundamental assumptions gets personal, this is a personal topic and we're all at different phases of where we stand based on our own lived experiences. And if we all walk into the conversations around that, plus the belief system, we call it, David, at the Talent Magnet Institute, bringing out your fullest potential, helping you achieve your greatest good, taking an approach to employees where all our role is as leaders is to help other people bring out their greatest good and to help do the same for ourselves. What I would love to say, Mike, is bring out your fullest potential so that others achieve theirs. And it's that so that 
that it isn't about nar- it isn't about me. It's about how do I help you reach your potential? And that creates a virtuous cycle. And that's, you look at somebody and you say, how can I empower you? Assumption one, because what do you have to offer? I'd love to ask you, Mike, sometimes, how do you help people get those assumptions? Some are born with them. Some are trained with them. It sounds like you've got a father and a mother and a family and a setting where that was inbred. I do too. My father, I have to confess, when he was 60, 65, and I'd go home for a break and he'd say, Dave, let's do the bread run today. I'd go, Dad, I don't want to do the bread run today. I, you know, I just want to sleep in or play with my kids. But it's there. It's there. But how do you help others get those assumptions? What have you found, Mike? What do you do? Yeah. So Dave, one of the things I think is so important is we all need to slow down, right? This process is not a flip a switch, spend two weeks, spend three months, spend a year. This is a journey that we all have to go on together. What I have found to be one of the most, what we have found to be one of the most powerful opportunities is to start conversations and to share, create safe spaces, create environments like a conversation like this, where our listeners can hear the discussion between the two of us, and they can come back and ask us questions and say, you know, I'd love to learn how would we actually do that with our team? How do we create an open environment to learn and grow and for to leave judgment at the door, right? And how you do it is you take time and you have patience with people. None of us got to where we are today by ourselves. And none of us will get to where we ultimately are called to be by ourselves. We have to view this as a journey and stop viewing it as an event, which is what so many companies want to just put a Band-Aid on it. They want to have an event and create an experience so we can all say we did it. And it's not enough. This is a heart change and heart change takes a long time. I love the idea of slow down. There are people that have different beliefs about religion and religion is a philosophy. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, which is, uh, and don't get upset because it's religious, is in patience, possess ye your souls. I love that line. I mean, it just calm down. In patience, you possess your identity. And I think that's a great philosophy. And I also love the idea in conversation. So we do self-care and then we do other service. The one I might add, I am discovering the word personalization. What I think matters may not be what matters to you. For example, I I have a a recent friend who's got three kids, like eighth grade, sixth grade, and fourth grade, and they love athletics and sports. And you know what? In that friend's family, sports are the center of gravity. That's terrific. I have another friend whose family doesn't love sports. They love drama. They love, not drama, the not Real Housewives of Cincinnati, but they love movies. They love theater. You know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Everyone, no matter where you come from. And I like that idea of personalization. I'll give those who listen a test. Look around at the people you see today at their shoes. The people you meet today are the people in your cohort group. So this is a, this is a relatively narrow group of the world. I'm going to make you a bet. You won't see anybody wearing the same pair of shoes you have on. Somewhere Reebok, somewhere Adidas, somewhere loafers, somewhere sandals. And yet it's okay. And just like we all wear a pair of shoes that works for us, we all have our style and that's okay. That's the value in diverging. We all have different shoes, but we're all walking in the same direction. And so I love slow down. That's really nice. I love start a conversation, listen, relate to others. 
And I would also say personalize, respect what people do for who they are. That is something that not everyone knows what that, how to unpack that, right? And I think it is something that provides us an opportunity to also reiterate that the lived experiences over the last several months or year plus has taught us that personalized leadership, leadership is a one-to-one sport. The more I show and express care one-to-one to individuals, the more we help bring out their greatest good and help them reach their fullest potential. But part of it is because we actually learn where they are, who they are, what they bring, what they're scared of, what they're fearful for, and what their goals and aspirations are and how we can help them achieve them. And inside of that is a story. All of us have a story and a lived experience. And we need to unpack those lived experiences to recognize that we bring our uniqueness to the table, right? That's leadership. That changes organizations and it changes hearts and behaviors. And I think you and I both would agree, Dave, as speakers, as public speakers and individuals who have leadership programs and consulting practices, that you do, the programs and practices do matter. Linking this to strategy does matter. But what you've hit on is that, but it doesn't stop there. Just because you say we're going to do this doesn't mean you're going to create a personalized experience to empower others to bring their whole self. I've been using that word to complement yours, slow down conversation. Personalized, I think, has two meanings. One is the person, and you just said it. We've talked about the four E's, show empathy. How are you feeling? Emotion. Let me tell you how I'm feeling. What's going on in your life? Experience, energy. Our job as leaders, those are the skills. It's the personal side. And then the other side of personalization is tailor it to the one. What's working for you? You know, some folks, and I don't know your experience, Mike, you have three kids. That example I gave of my new friend with kids who love sports, I can't imagine who that is. But uh, my wife and I live in a house, obviously. We have kids and grandkids. The COVID crisis has been difficult because we've not traveled, we've been at home, but it's not been unworldly difficult. We're blessed beyond any means. We have three kids. One of our daughters quit her job so she could homeschool her three kids. Another daughter and her husband each took half-time jobs so they could take care of their kids. Our son and his wife, each of our children are managing this experience very differently. So I look out to your listeners. You may be a single millennial in your 20s living in an 800-square-foot apartment in New York. Your experience in the COVID is so different than Mike's experience living in South Cincinnati or Ulrich's experience living where we live. And you know what? We should be aware of that. We should be very sensitive to that. That's the customized, personalized, what's going to work to you. Now, the only other thing I'd add, and you alluded to it at the end that I really like, that doesn't mean you can get away with everything. That's divergence. We want difference. You've also got to converge. The thing I've been talking about is there's a new boundary of work. The boundary of work used to be a place. So I get up in the morning, I get in my car, I get on the bus, I go to my office, and I come home at the end of the day. Work is a place. Today, work is no longer a place for many of us. It is for some. You're working in an office with flowers and plants and great books. I'm working in my office, but there is a boundary. There is a boundary. And here's for me the boundary. What did you do today as an employee that created value for a customer? either today or tomorrow. And so I think as a business or HR leader, 
one of the questions I think we could be asking our employees is, you know, how are you feeling today? What is your experience? But what did you do today that will help a customer have a better experience so they work with us? And if the employee says not much, then you say, you didn't do a good job at work today. And I'm willing to hold you accountable for that. My job is to help you find ways. But I think that's an interesting boundary. It's it's not about place. It's not about technology. I can find value for an employee. I hope that today, this interview, this podcast, will create value for somebody who listens. And they could listen today, tomorrow, or in three months. And somebody, if my, if my wife or who's, I guess, my surrogate boss or somebody else said, what did you do today to create value for a customer? I'll say, I had a great conversation with Mike. And I hope somebody will listen to that and get an idea that will help them. Okay. okay. That's legitimate. You created value today. You had a good work day. Well, Dave, I greatly appreciate you saying yes to this invitation to bring your insights and perspectives. And I certainly know with the things that we unpack today that someone right now, I hope as many listeners as possible is recognizing that they have an opportunity to lead well, to be bold, to be courageous, and to be uniquely them and also help others be uniquely themselves to bring out their greatest good, to bring the best into the world. That's really all that we're trying to do to our listeners. I thank you, Dave. I will ask you any parting one thought that you would like to leave with. Well, let me thank you. I've got a page of notes, so I'm going to model, believe, become, and belong. So I hope that this kind of session, I've got some things to become better. This is the values we share. And I hope, uh, Mike, we've created an agenda going forward. I'm going to take a minute. I was asked recently to give a graduation talk, which is unusual for, for somebody. I don't have a rags to riches story. I have a great father, obviously, who picked up goods. And, and so I coach. So when I left the graduates, the students, at a couple of talks I've given, I asked them four coaching questions. Let me give those to your listeners. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? What are your values, beliefs, strengths, passions? If you don't know what you want as an individual, somebody will define it for you. Be clear about your want and your desires. Two, who do you serve? What we want is self-care doesn't create as much value as other service. Who are you working to help today? Who's on your mind? Three, how do you build an institution? How do you build? How do you create an organization that outlives you? And four, where am I on the journey? I love the where am I question that I've added to my thinking. What do I want? Who do I serve? How do I build? Where am I? I'll end with this very simple example. And again, I don't mean to make this religious, but it's a story in almost every faith. Adam and Eve, whatever you believe about it, the story is phenomenal. They're in the garden. They make a mistake. They partake of the fruit. God comes down. He says, Adam, where are Eve? Where are you? For 50 years of my life, I thought they're hiding behind a tree. You know, they're behind a bush. And then it hit me. God can see him behind a bush. I mean, you know, if, if you believe in the story. So the question, where am I? Is not where am I physically? Where am I against the mistakes I've made? And I think the profundity of that story, what do I want? Who do I serve? How do I build? Where am I on my journey? The Adam and Eve story, you made a mistake. Okay, get over it. Where are you? Is not a question of physical presence. It's a question of intellectual and emotional presence. I love that metaphor. So those are my ending thoughts. What do I want? Who do I serve? How do I build? And where am I on this journey? Mike, thank you. What a delight. Everyone, 
Thank you for joining Dave Ulrich and I today. Dave, it's been a true pleasure and excited to spend this time together and bring some insights and words of wisdom, ideals, questions for us all to leave today's conversation with. We look forward to our next conversation, everyone. Please do subscribe, share with a friend, pass this on, share this with your your team, have a discussion. What can you take away? These are the tools and our gifts that we're bringing to you. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr., Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.